Thanks for listening to the podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sunday, visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. I love these little church plants. They're all over the place in Spokane. We're this fertile soil for church plants. I'm not quite sure why, but that's, uh, that's good. And small is, is beautiful, by the way. I, I teach the history of Christianity, and uh, in the early Christian period, uh, there were no church buildings, not until well into the third century. So imagine the church growing into all these Roman towns, villages, towns, cities, and meeting in small settings. By the time there were... 40 to 60 people that were already dividing and starting another church somewhere else. So this notion of growing the church through uh, division, intentional division, although there have always been splits too, let's face it. And then to see new churches planted and growing like that is, is really the way it was done for a long, long time. It's interesting that we have virtually no uh, artifacts from the early Christian period. There was a little bit of art we can find in catacombs uh, and some texts like the New Testament, you know, uh, that's because they were people of the book. But otherwise, no, no buildings, nothing like that. Uh, what made the Christian movement so successful was the impact it had on people's lives, not so much on the material culture of the day. So you're in good company here with that early Christian period. Um, I want us to look this morning at this uh, text, fairly long text we're going to look at from Matthew uh, 26, a little bit of 27, is a play. Um, and it, it's a play in um, uh, one act. Uh, it's got an interesting cast of characters that I'll point out. Uh, I've even titled the play, um, uh, Two Lost Men and a Master. I think that's pretty good. Two Lost Men and a master. Um, and it's about two characters with which most of you are going to be quite familiar. If you're not, that's okay. You're in good company here. Uh, ignorance has never been a qualification for church membership or Christianity. In the end, we're all pretty stupid anyway, even people with PhDs. Um, and the two characters are Judas and Peter. Now, when I say the name Judas, what comes to mind to you right away? Traitor, exactly. Who said that? All right, well done. You're exactly right. What else? All right, he betrayed Jesus. Anything else? Just let things come to your mind. Pardon? Bad. Greedy. 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 Who said that? Matt. (laughs) But you're right, greedy. And what did he do? Why was he greedy? He sold out his friend for money. He was also stealing from the money pouch, uh, uh, the larger narrative of Scripture tells us. Anything else about Judas? There's one other thing he's famous for. Pardon? He was a disciple, which is very interesting. He also committed suicide. Now, this is not a a, a message, a teaching about suicide. I'm not going to bring it up again, except to, to state it one more time. Um, and it's, it's, um, it's too complex to take on. The other thing we need to keep in mind about suicide is that we tend to either romanticize it or demonize it. 
And what we should do is humanize it, especially for the people left behind afterwards. Um, I've written a book on suffering and I get lots of messages, emails and letters and everything else. And by far the worst always has to do with the survivors of suicide, the people left behind afterwards and the kinds of questions and suffering and pain that they carry with them. Um, so that's all I want to say on that. This is not going to be a message about that. Okay, so that's Judas. Um, Peter, what comes to mind? Rock, okay, very positive. Hot-headed, very good. Courageous, okay. See, he's getting better press, isn't he? Courageous. Pardon? All right, he denied Jesus, and that's what our story is about. Anything else? He's chest thumping. He wants to be a big shot. Okay? He makes all kinds of bold claims about himself. But in the end, he becomes the chief apostle. And uh, if you uh, read anything from the medieval period, he also stands where? G uh, Peter at the pearly gates. He's the guard that uh, uh, stands at the gate of heaven. So over the years, over the centuries really, Judas has gotten a lot of bad press and Peter's got a lot of good press. Now this is the danger of reading the Bible back uh, from the end backwards, is that we bring into it, into these stories, a kind of bias. Uh, we already know what the conclusion is, and so we make all kinds of judgments about these people in light of the conclusion. Now, I want to suggest to you that, that Peter and Judas are very much alike. And we don't really know the outcome until the very bitter end. Okay, got that? Now, I'm going to state what the point is. So actually, after you get this, you can ignore me for the rest of the time and actually be okay. But here's, I think, what the main point of this uh, story, of these, this succession of stories is. It's kind of what I call the secret of living the Christian faith. And it's not what you think it's going to be. It's this. No matter what our circumstances, no matter how big our failures no matter how horrific our sins, in the end, there's only one thing that matters, and it has nothing to do with us. It's whether we turn toward God. That, in the end, is the only thing that matters. It's not our level of education. It's not whether we grow up in America or another uh, uh, country. It's not our uh, skin color. It's not our religious background. It's not even the kind of life we've lived and how good or bad we've been. All of that is secondary and in the end does not matter. The only thing that matters is whether we turn to God. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing except ourselves. All right, I'm going to read the text now, and I want you to listen carefully, especially for the details. There are delicious details in this text to which I'll draw attention. If you're following in your Bibles, it's uh, from the Gospel of Matthew. That's in the New Testament. There are four 
stories about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is one of them. It's the first, uh, in, not in uh, writing, but the first in order. And this is Matthew 26. I'm going to begin with 14, verse 14. And again, notice the Judas-Peter contrast, all right, and likeness. Then one of the twelve, who was called Judas Iscariot, Iscariot is probably, by the way, where he came from, went to the chief priests. Now, I'm going to make a note right here. Not the Pharisees. The Pharisees get a lot of bad press in the New Testament because we look at them as legalists. They're really strict. But in the end, when Jesus is finally nailed to the cross, the people who preside over his death are not the Pharisees. They're the temple aristocrats, members of the Jewish uh, leadership group, the Sanhedrin, and the Romans, not the Pharisees. These are the chief priests. These are the ones who guard the temple, whose power source, by the way, is in the city of Jerusalem. Then one of the twelve, who was called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now, on the first day of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you prepare for? Uh, of, uh, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? Jesus said, Go into the city to such a one and say to him, The teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. What an odd little addition, isn't it? We don't know who this person is. Somehow Jesus had this all prearranged. And the disciples did as Jesus directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, and by the way, what day of the week is this? It's a Thursday. Okay? We call it now Monday Thursday because it's the day in which Jesus gave the love commandment. When it was evening, he sat at the table with the 12 disciples. Now that means who's at the table? 12 of them. Meaning both Judas and Peter. And as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand uh, in the dish with me will betray me. Now what's so curious about that is, what has everyone done? They've all dipped in the dish. The Son of Man goes, it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is to be betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who betrayed him, said, is it, is it I, Master? Jesus said to him, you have said so. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and, uh, saying, 
Drink all of it, or drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I shall not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in the Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, by the way, that's probably from Psalms 113 to 118. They went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter declared to him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you this very night, before the cock grows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Well, then follows a series of stories. He goes to Gethsemane. The Roman soldiers come and arrest him with some of the uh, temple leaders, the chief priests and his staff. Uh, they bring him to the house of the chief priest, Caiaphas, where they hold a kind of bogus trial to convict him of being a threat to Judaism. Uh, they have all kinds of witnesses that are contradicting each other. And finally, Caiaphas just says, uh, are, are you the Messiah? And Jesus said, well, well I am, but I'm not going to be the kind of Messiah you think I am. And uh, that's enough. They pronounce him guilty, and then they plot to bring him before the Roman governor or procurator, precept, whatever you want to call him, Pontius Pilate, back to him in a moment. Now we pick it up at the end of 26, uh, beginning at verse 69. Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a maid came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus, the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the porch, so notice he's withdrawing, another maid saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he again denied it with an oath, uh, oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you are also one of them, for your, your accent betrays you. It's an accent from the north. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, By God, I, uh, 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 I do not know the man. And immediately the cock crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate the governor. When Judas, his betrayer, saw that he was condemned... Well, that's a curious phrase, when he saw what the outcome was. It seems that it's not what he was intending. 
He repented and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the, the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. The chief priest taking the pieces of silver said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury since they are blood money. So they took counsel and, brought in and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed him. Now, it's a long passage, and uh, it took a long time to read. So let me give you a couple of details before I set up this contrast between Peter and Judas. Uh, the first has to do with Jerusalem. It's the big city. And it's flooded with pilgrims because it's Passover week. And the size of the city grew dramatically during some of these key festivals. Uh, Jesus had been in Jerusalem before, but he was not a product of Jerusalem. He had not studied there under rabbis. He was an alien. He was a stranger. He was from the rural north. We also know at this time that Jerusalem had a lot of soldiers, Roman soldiers, because um, Judaism had proven to be trouble to the, to the Romans, or I should say Palestine, the Jews in Palestine. There were some radical groups that were causing trouble. And so Rome would send a lot of extra soldiers during these feast times. And that's probably why Pontius Pilate had also traveled from Caesarea, where the capital of the province was, down to Jerusalem, to maintain order during this very threatening time. Now, even though Judas had not been in Jerusalem, excuse me, Jesus had not been in Jerusalem, his reputation had preceded him. He was famous. And there were a lot of people who were thinking that Jesus came down or traveled to Jerusalem at this particular time to begin some kind of revolt. Rumor had sped that he was the Messiah. And this is what the Messiah's job description was. It was to revolt against Rome, raise a popular army, drive out the hated Romans, and usher in a golden age for the Jews, securing their independence. The disciples were expecting this of Jesus. So, for example, in a story that I skipped, the, uh, um, uh, Jesus' time in Gethsemane, all the disciples do what while Jesus is praying? They take naps because they're resting up for the fight. They have some weapons on them. They think that there's going to be some kind of popular uprising, and they assume they're going to be at the head of it, at the left and the right hand of Jesus when he enters into his earthly glory. All right, so that's Jerusalem, and Jesus in it. A lot of conversation, a lot of nervousness about this man, especially one particular group of people who does not come across looking very good, and that's what we call the chief priests. They were um, the, the, the temple staff, and Caiaphas, named the chief priest, was the one who presided over this body of people who belonged to the Sanhedrin, this ruling group. 
They were especially nervous about Jesus because they were actually in some kind of collusion with the Romans. Pharisees hated the Romans. The Sanhedrin cooperated with the Romans. And they saw Jesus as nothing but trouble. So they're looking for an opportunity to get rid of this man. Uh, they were supposed to be sort of the religious leaders and pastors of the people. Now with that in mind, consider how they respond to this very troubled and guilty Judas. When he comes back and said, I made a huge mistake. I am so sorry. I repent. I have betrayed innocent blood. I have sinned. Take back the money. What do they say to him? Your problem, not ours. And they send him out into the night. Well, this is a, a supporting cast. I want to mention two other people who actually go unnamed. In the story preceding the text that we read, there's an incident where Jesus is having dinner in the house of a man called Simon the leper. He had healed him. And while they're eating dinner, a woman comes in and anoints Jesus' head with this incredibly expensive perfume. What she's doing here is giving of everything she has to anoint Jesus, he says, for burial. She does an act of such heroic kindness and sacrifice that Jesus says she will be remembered until the kingdom comes. Now contrast that with Judas, who cuts a deal with the chief priest to receive a really a paltry 30 pieces of silver, which was about a month's wages at that particular time. It's often the case, by the way, in the gospel narratives that the heroes are people whose names we never know. Telling, isn't it? All right, now let's go to the two um, main characters, the, the, the leads in this particular play. Uh, Judas and Peter. Now, what do we know about Judas? We know that he was one of the 12. He was a follower of Jesus, which means he had sacrificed substantially already uh, to walk away from his job and his family to become uh, a disciple of Jesus. Um, <clears throat> we know that he was um, uh, greedy, that he robbed from the pouch that they used as a kind of common purse for the disciples. We know that, uh, they, that Judas goes to uh, these chief priests and uh, receives a bribe to turn Jesus in. To hand him over is the word that's actually what that means in Greek, to hand over. It's not as strong as betray. That's our definition because, or our word because we know the outcome to the story. So we tend to demonize this man. Now all this is true about Jesus, or Judas. But what happens at the end that's so curious? What was triggered in Judas? Now here's what happens. He betrays Jesus. He arranges a time where the Roman soldiers and some of the chief priests can come, where there's relative privacy, and that's a garden of Gethsemane. And they arrest him. And they bring him back to the home of Caiaphas. And they begin to amass these witnesses to try to find some way to convict this man of guilt and to condemn him to death. Uh, they finally get what they need and they deliver him over to the Roman governor, 
Pontius Pilate, he was the fifth governor or precept or procurator of the province of Judea. Very unpopular with the Jews, by the way. In fact, shortly after this, he lost his job and was weak, recalled to Rome. Now, something was triggered in Judas because he goes back to the chief priests and what does he say? You heard the text, what did he say? That's an honest question, it's not rhetorical. I, I, I betrayed an innocent man. Here's your money back. I was wrong. What did he discover? You'd think that everything was falling exactly into line. This is what Judas wanted to do, but he changed his mind. What do you think happened? Any guesses? Seriously. All right, guilt. Shame, but why? He betrayed him. What do you think he was expecting? I think that's right. What was his strategy? Just guess. We don't know for certain. But we know that he changes his mind. And there's got to be a reason for it. What do you think he was trying to do? Could be. Any other guesses? I think it's to force the issue. He's probably a little bit smarter and more calculated than the rest of the disciples. And he wants to force Jesus to start the revolt prematurely. And so in arranging with this, this with the chief priests, he may be saying, in effect, maybe Jesus will now make his move. And then all of a sudden, he's handed over Pontius Pilate, and he doesn't resist. And his plot fails. And he realizes, I was wrong. And the telling word that's used in this passage is the word, I repent. I change my mind. I was wrong. He gives back the 30 pieces, and when they refuse it, he throws it into the temple, and, he, and the word used, he went out, I'm adding, into the night. Now, at that point... Judas still had one decision to make, as we'll see. So that's Judas. Now, there's Peter. What do we know about Peter? Well, we know he had a kind of um, big personality, kind of a, schwa, a, 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 a it's the swashbuckling personality. He's the one who jumps out of the boat when Jesus is walking in the water, not, not the other disciples, and begins to run along the water to find Jesus until all of a sudden he's discovered he's walking on water, and then he sinks. He's the one who says to Jesus when Jesus the very first time tells his followers that he's going to go to Jerusalem and be tried on trumped-up charges and betrayed and eventually nailed to a cross, what does he say to Jesus? Oh no, <laughs> this isn't going to happen to you. And Jesus turns to him and rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan. 
So he talks too much. And then in this case, he claims too much about himself. When Jesus says to his followers, you know, in the end, all of you are going to deny and desert me. Even the Old Testament predicts that uh, when uh, the shepherd is struck down, the sheep are going to scatter. And Peter starts to look around at the other disciples and say, look, if these guys might do that. I'm never going to de deny you. I, I mean, I will suffer death to be with you. The text tells us, not the section I read, that when Jesus is, is uh, seized by the chief priests and so on, he's led into the chief priest's home. There are soldiers there as well as kind of the, the, the temple authorities. And Peter follows them. Now, I want you to get inside this man's head. Peter follows them, and the text tells us he's standing with the soldiers in the courtyard just outside where this bogus trial is taking place. Now, what's Peter thinking at this point? When am I going to make my move? Oh, not now. When am he's ambivalent. He's tortured. He wants to be heroic, and he's afraid. He knows what he's claimed, and yet when he actually faces the circumstances, it feels very different. It's one thing to plan a mountain climbing trip when you're in your living room. It's another thing when you're standing looking up at it. Peter is looking up at the mountain. Now what's so delicious about the actual story of the denial of Jesus is that it's not even with the soldiers. It's not with politicians. Who brings charges against Peter? Did you listen to that little detail? It's the maid. Kind of low-level test here. And he fails. Each time a person comes up to him and makes a charge that he's one of the followers, he's a little bit more charged in what he says. The first time, no, I, I, don't, I don't know a man. By God, I don't know the man. Third time, will you get off my back? I swear to you before God and upon my own soul, I have nothing to do with that man. Each time, more extreme, more heated. And then, after it comes out of his mouth the third time, what happens? He hears the cock crow. And all of a sudden, it all rushes back. He remembers what Jesus said. And he is filled with utter shame. The text tells us that he weeps bitterly. He's exposed. He has nothing left to say. Now, I had a memory rush back to me this morning as I was reviewing this and reading the text one more time. When I was a young chaplain in the Midwest in my early, or late 20s and early 30s, a chaplain at a Christian college, there was a group of students who went through this sort of period of thinking they were just absolutely more spiritual than everybody else on that campus. A kind of self-appointed group of Pharisees, really. And they were pretty ruthless, pretty harsh with criticism against the president, faculty, fellow students, and me. 
one of the leaders of this group was a, a young Christian, wonderful guy. I kept in touch with for years afterwards, by the way. His name was Samson. But boy, he was one judgmental young man. Well, this went on for some time. And then I got a phone call on a Saturday night from uh, the owner of a drugstore downtown in Little Orange City, Iowa. Uh, Jerry, I knew the man. Jerry, I, I, um, I have a student here. I'm not quite sure what to do with. I caught him um, uh, stealing a, uh, a Playboy magazine. Now, for those of you who in the internet generation, Playboy used to be this really radical pornographic thing before you could get it easy on, on, online. And uh, so I said, oh boy, oh, I, I'll come down and pick him up. Uh, you know what's going to happen. I walk into the store. I didn't know who it was. He didn't know that the man had called me. I walked into the store and our eyes met. His face just fell to the ground. He was so utterly humiliated. That's Peter. That's us. So at this point, we have two men. Two men who have to face themselves. Two men who have come to the end of themselves. Two men whose plots and hopes and expectations and aspirations and under the, uh, understanding of themselves are utterly shattered in that moment. And they have nothing left. I called them leads. They're not. The lead in this play is Jesus. Now think about the role that Jesus plays. He's the one who says, um, to prepare the Passover, um, I want you to go and uh, you're going to run into this contact and here's what I want you to say to them. The master says that his time has come and, and get ready for the Passover. He knows. He seems to transcend all of the drama going on at the time. And what's curious about this particular Passover when he celebrates it is that it's not a usual Passover. For one thing, it's the wrong day. It's like celebrating Christmas in November. And there's no Christmas tree. That is no lamb, no bitter herbs, none of the stuff that characterized the Passover. In other words, Jesus is taking a traditional Jewish event and he's turning it upside down. He's the lamb. He provides the blood. He's the bread. This is a new Passover because a new day has come. He's the one who can say, one of you is going to betray me. And what's so telling is that all of them think it could be them. Judas isn't any different from the rest of the people there. He's struggling in his own soul. They don't know who's doing this. They don't even know that about themselves. He's the one who says to his followers, you know, all of you are going to deny and desert me. And they all think other words, thumping their chest, saying, it's not going to be me, it's going to be these other people. Jesus Christ is the one. who goes to that cross alone. 
Only a couple of women in the end are loyal and faithful to him. And he died for every one of those disciples. When he celebrated the Passover, what we now call the Lord's Supper, guess who was in that room? Judas. Peter. The very people who would walk away. In fact, all of them would walk away. Now what I want to suggest to you about this story is that these two men really in many ways have the same story. I mean, who's to say that, that um, Judas's plot or his traitorous act was any worse than Peter's pride and bravura? Who's to say that Judas's calculation was worse than Peter's utter cowardice? Both of these men thought themselves one way and they failed. And it was the kind of failure where there's simply nothing to say afterwards. You understand the difference? There are some things we do and we can figure out how to excuse and justify and pull ourselves up and say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try again. Not this one. This is when they came to the very end and there was nothing left to say. I thought about this. It's like the kind of manipulative, self-pitying mother was constantly imposing on her children expectations and this goes on and on and on and it works for years and they finally say to her enough we are not coming home for Christmas and she realizes it's done it's like a bullying coach who's been able to get away with it for years and have successful team teams and athletes that continue to be loyal in spite of the fact that he's entirely unworthy of it until finally the whole squad quits and they won't come back and it's done it's like a greedy businessman that's always cutting deals and living on the edge and living on borrowed money until finally it all collapses and he has not a dime left and there's no more time left this is what happens to these two men there, he's a traitor, Judas. Peter's a coward. It's not that he whips, weeps, it's that he weeps bitterly. Judas goes to the chief priest and he said, I am so wrong. I betrayed an innocent man. Take your damn money back. They say, we don't care about you. And the text uses the same words. They both went out into the night, utterly alone. And then they face the biggest decision of their lives. The biggest decision, the only decision in the end that counts. Peter turns away from self toward God. He turns. In, a sec, in, in essence, what he says is, I have nothing left. I bring nothing to you but a broken self. Here. Judas collapses in on himself and takes his own life. Don't tell me that God loves Judas any less than he loved Peter. And this is the only decision in the end that you and I have to make. 
Sooner or later, all of us are going to come to the end of ourselves. It's going to be uh, uh, an unanticipated bad news of cancer. It's going to be a failed marriage. It's going to be a wayward child. It's going to be a failed business venture. We will all come to the end of ourselves. I promise you that. And then we can come to the beginning of God. All God wants is a turning toward him. That's it. That's it. Nothing more. No bargains, no deals, no promises, just the broken self. And he says, welcome home. Now, speaking of the Lord's Supper, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took uh, bread and he thanked God for it and broke it and said, this is my body that was broken for you. Remember who is there. Then he took the cup after supper and said, this is the new cup uh, 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 or the uh, new cup of uh, my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins, the new covenant. As long as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Jesus says to his disciples, I'm not going to drink of this fruit until the kingdom comes. Jesus welcomes all there. The only thing we have to do is turn. In the new age, in the new kingdom, people are going to come from north and south and east and west, and we are going to be really surprised with who's there. But there's only going to be one reason why they are there. And that's Jesus Christ.